murdering us every day, stealing our land every day. The whole world acts like it's not happening. Because these people were able to get the recognition, they are now a state, they now have the ability to decide to pass a law, which is just their consensus of what they're going to do next. Imagine if like a thief is in your house and he's stealing your house and he goes, no, 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 but I passed a law about it. The Middle East I reported Israel's new prime minister to move into pre-Nekba Palestinian house. Would you do what he's doing? But it's like, you all did that. Buzzfeed, which stolen house are you? Some Democrats now are calling on the Biden administration to put pressure on Israel to prevent the completion of this so-called doomsday settlement project between Occupy Jerusalem and the West Bank. What is this pressure? I think they're doing Reiki, actually. Hello and welcome to episode 62 of the Palestine Pod, the weekly podcast where we break down the latest headlines dealing with Palestine from all over the world and bring you stories, commentary, and interviews with the aim of supporting the Palestinian struggle for justice and equal rights. I'm one of your hosts, Lara E. You might know me from Instagram as at Girl, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mikey B. What's up, y'all? Mikey B on TikTok, Michael Scherzer on Instagram. And you can call me Mikey Intifada if you're worried about the Palestinian human rights abuses in Gaza, but you're about to do business with the Saudi prince. Before we get into today's episode, please like, comment, and subscribe if you hang out with us on YouTube. And if you're listening on a podcast app, subscribe and leave a review. As always, you can find our full episodes and sources on palestinepod.com. And if you want to get involved in the conversation, reach out to us at palestinepod at gmail.com. Give us a follow on Instagram at the palestinepod. We also have a lot of exciting stuff happening over on Patreon. So if you love the Palestine Pod and you want to support this project, join our Patreon, where you get early access to the Palestine Pod episodes and additional one to two podcasts per week, including the Patreon Pod. We also have our monthly Zoom happy hours for our Patreon subscribers only. And our first Palestine Pod book club is meeting later this month. On July 23rd, check us out on patreon.com slash palestinepod. One story that caught my eye this week is that the wife of the Zionist prime minister posted a photo on Instagram saying a new beginning because her and her colonizer husband have decided to move into the house of Palestinian businessman Hana Salama, who was representative of GMC in Palestine and Jordan prior to the Nekba. And, you know, it's this beautiful house and it's like, it's the story of Palestine, right? This colonizer uprooting Palestinian families, claiming their house and then pretending like it's some grand new beginning when it's something that happens and has continued to happen for 70 plus years. The house was built in 1932 for the Salama family, and he was forced to leave in 48. As a result of the Nekba, he moved to Beirut as a refugee. It's just so gross to be flexing on Instagram that you're living in a stolen house and that you're like proud to be this thief. It is really gross. The Middle East I reported Israel's new prime minister to move into pre-Nekba Palestinian house. Haaretz actually had an article about this earlier this week that was like, would you move into that house? Like, like as if it was like acknowledging the, the moral issue in, in, you know, in moving into a stolen house, but then trying to like frame it as a question to like, would you do what he's doing? But it's like, you all did that. Every one of them is like, yeah, 
Yes, I would. And I did. BuzzFeed, which stolen house are you? <laughs> and they're like, they're like, you know, oh yeah, he's gonna move in there temporarily while construction work is carried out on the prime minister's house located on the same Balfour Street. I mean, you can't make this up. The street is called Balfour Street. Guys, what? And they're trying to make it sound like there's a difference between the house that he's going to move into later and the house that he's temporarily living in, which is the Palestinian house. Right. Like one of those houses is Palestinian and the other one is not. But it's like they're both Palestinian. Any house in Palestine, Palestinian. Right. Real simple way to remember that. It's just all Palestinian. Yeah. If you ever get like, you know, confused about it, because I feel like some people are just remember Palestine. It's something that's happened before. Like they have a tendency to have their higher ups in the occupation government occupy like nice houses that were owned by successful Palestinian businessmen or women. So in a previous instance, Golda Meir was occupying the Bisharat's house, previously known as Harun Ar Rashid Villa. And this was occupied when she served as the foreign minister between 1956 and 1966. This villa was one of the properties that was stolen by the newly created Zionist state when it passed the absentee properties law, which we've talked about before. And for those who haven't heard us talk about it, absentee properties law was passed in 1950 by Israel. And it basically allowed them to steal all of our stuff, everything from Palestinian land to assets of any kind, furniture, movable property, stocks, even books, companies, banks, you name it. All of the features of a booming civilization were able to be stolen because of this law that this new state passed. Because these people were able to get the recognition from the world that they are now a state, they now have the ability to decide to pass a law, which is just their consensus of what they're going to do next, right? Because like, imagine if like a thief is in your house and he's stealing your house and he goes, no, 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 but I passed a law about it. So it's okay. Cause there's a law that says I can steal your stuff. That's what they did with us. They just passed a law to make it legal to take our stuff. And they did. Yeah. And then you'd be like, no, no, no. But this law says that you can't. And they're like, no, no, no. We don't recognize that law. We, we recognize, recognize this law. Yes. This new law that we made. That's actually based on nothing. That's what we recognize. Right. Yeah. And, and that law that you've been using that's like based on a ton of stuff, like, no, 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 that's no good. That's yucky. That's old no, law. That's no good. Yeah. Now, so many houses and so much land was stolen by this new entity. And the owners of that land, of, of those houses, are refugees. Some of them are internal refugees, and some of them are in refugee camps all over the Arab world. Some of them are even further displaced in exile in the West. The villa that the new prime minister 
of the Zion estate has moved into was one of those properties that was taken over under the absentee properties law. And again, let's just relish in how ironic it is to call it an absentee property law when the reason that they are absentees is because you kick them out. They're not there anymore because you wouldn't let them stay because you physically removed them. And then you said, oh, well, they're not here. So now we can take it. Technically, they were absent. And uh, it just so happened that the people who wrote the laws fired guns right outside their house, you know, sure. or into their house at them. That's just a technicality, though, you know. I feel, like you, all of, to read I feel like a lot of Zionism is just technicality yeah. after technicality on top of technicality. Define Zionism. Define. Define Zionism. I don't know. At this point, I don't know. Maybe it's, it's, just, it's just making up laws. It's just making up laws. Yes. And then just saying that you can do whatever. Because yeah. there's a law that you made up that says the cool thing know. about Zionism is that it means something different to everyone. Apparently, that's what's cool about it is that nobody can really pin down a definition. Because if you talk to the Zionists, they're like, "It's just one thing," you know. And then you talk to somebody who's got their house bulldozed, and they're like, "Well, it's another." Yeah, some of the like apologetic pieces on uh, this uh, whole fiasco were like, "Oh, like he's doing something really bad," but like also please remember that like David Ben Gurion would and another prime minister refused to live in Palestinian properties seized under the absentee law. So that that may even where the they East live. I, I don't know. First where of all, were they I don't staying? Know what is going on with the Middle East Eye? But lately, there have been some very questionable articles. They literally wrote two previous Israeli prime ministers, David Ben Gurion and Levi Eshkol, refused to live in Palestinian properties seized under the absentee law, making Lapid's decision an anomaly in Israeli politics. Is it an anomaly or is it the whole purpose of the entire state? I'm is confused. It, is a modus operandi an anomaly? Yeah. <laughs> what? I don't know. Is it I anomaly mean, if literally everybody in the society does it? Are we using anomaly in a way that doesn't truly highlight what anomaly means? Did we change the definition of anomaly? Define anomaly. <laughs> <laughs> hey. That's every conversation you have with a Zionist where it's like each word you're like, define that word. Right. They'd be like, define genocide. So the German broadcaster DW has lost its case against Palestinian journalist Maram Salim. Salim was fired by DW after accusations of anti-Semitism by Sudet, Sudich. Um, this is, it's tough to pronounce German stuff. Um, and I on purpose <laughs> don't care. So one of Germany's largest newspapers the labor court stated that the firing was unlawful and that the accusations were false. So on July 6, 2022, the Bonn labor court declared the dismissal of Duchwell against Miriam S. as invalid. The Facebook posts she is accused of are not anti-Semitic and the dismissal was unlawful, the court stated in the hearing. Miriam S., stated that she has long been an advocate for women's rights, human rights, animal rights, and LGBTQ, and 
that the accusations hit her hard. She called on DW to take responsibility, publicly apologize, and retract the allegations. DW must stop trying to denounce Palestinians when they talk about human rights violations they experience at the hands of Israelis. Finding by the investigators wrote that anti-Semitic Facebook posts was ruled false by the court. Her lawyer, Ahmed Abed, calls on DW now to protect Maram S. from agitation and retaliations. So this is an uh, ever-growing trend in Germany that we have explored a little bit on our Patreon when we spoke to Lily Summerfield, who is the member of the Jewish anti-Zionist organization in Germany that had their protest canceled along with the Palestinian organization that they work with. In addition to crushing Palestinian activism and freezing Palestinians out of spaces in Germany, we've seen this happen as well with Mohammed Al-Kurd, where he was disinvited to speak from an event. And then as a result, a number of people pulled out of the event and the event was ultimately canceled. Germany is having a real issue right now where they are trying to stifle free speech when it comes to Palestinians and Palestinian human rights, Palestine at large. And it doesn't matter if you're Palestinian and you're trying to speak, then you're going to have the toughest time. doesn't matter if you're Jewish, then, you know, you might have a tough time, but people will recognize that they can't outright silence you because Germany's not supposed to silence Jews anymore. It's a growing issue that is percolating to the like top of public opinion and public sphere. So the doomsday settlements have been referred to as such because it is a settlement project that Israel has been attempting to complete for some time now, the completion of which would totally bisect the occupied West Bank in half, making it essentially impossible for Palestinians from one side to visit Palestinians on the other side. They got their name because people who are interested in the two-state solution say that these settlements would essentially make that impossible. Everything that's going on right now, they're like, it's still possible. But this one settlement is the thing that's going to break the camel's back. For sure. It's awkward that they decided that this was the one thing. There's, you know, I would, I would say just. Hey, like, hey, we murdered Shireen Abu Akla. We know that. But this one settlement. This one settlement. It's a big settlement, though. It's the settlement of Mali Adumin, which is located between occupied Jerusalem and Jericho. Anyway, so some Democrats now are calling on the Biden administration to put pressure on Israel to prevent the completion of this so-called doomsday settlement project between Occupy Jerusalem and the West Bank. When you read the reports on this, it's like, ooh, like the U.S., what are they going to do? Oh, let's put a little pressure on Israel. Like, I don't, what is this pressure? Like, what is the pressure? Is it a light nudge? Like, what is it? Like, It's what, not a Swedish massage, is, I'll tell you that. What is the It's level not deep of, tissue. It is, what, I think they're doing Reiki, actually. Exactly. There is no touching They involved. don't touch them. Yeah. They're not allowed to touch them. <laughs> there, there is no touching. It's like a strip club. Just, no touching, you know? <laughs> because 
what do you do? Like, if you have ruled out, like Joe Biden has, you've certainly ruled out sanctions. Okay, you're not going there. God, God forbid, you know, you put sanctions on one of the most rampant violators of human rights. No, we're not going there. You're certainly not going to condition aid, much less stop the billions of dollars that you're funneling to the apartheid state. Yeah, they won't even shampoo it. But what they will do, Michael, maybe, maybe, is like a dozen or so Democrats will call up Joe Biden and be like, hey, give him a nudge. Give him a nudge. Don't let him, you know, just nudge them not to do it. Can you imagine what that call looks like? You know, they just they wake him up from a nap <laughs> and they're just like, hey, uh, are you ready? And he's like, who are you? <laughs> who is this? Who am I? <laughs> what, year, what year is it? <laughs> hey, sir, this is this is AOC, this is a squad. <laughs> like we told you we had a meeting to talk about this. He's like. to go <laughs> i have to poop something <laughs> representative mark pocan tweeted earlier that he led 25 of his colleagues in sending secretary blinken a letter outlining concerns with the israeli government's efforts to advance settlements in the e1 area near jerusalem in the west bank so there you go you got more you got a couple dozen house democrats dozens of them i say Sending a letter to Blinken and, you know, in it, they're just using that same tired language that the U.S. is so good at producing while literally doomsday has already happened. Yeah. They're saying, you know, it's uh, going to these settlements, if they're completed, it'll it'll pose an irreconcilable challenge to a lasting peace solution between Israel and the Palestinians. You know what's so funny is like whenever the U.S. talks about lasting peace, it's weird because it makes it sound like they think that there is peace, but it just hasn't lasted yet. So now yes. they're trying to get the lasting kind. Short-lived peace. We've had short-lived peace. like. Before Zionism. Yeah. Before Before, Zionism. There was peace. Mali Adumin illegal settlement project was proposed over two decades ago. It has never been completed because of international pressure. But on July 18th, the occupation's quote unquote defense ministry is expected to hold a final hearing on the objections to the final housing projects in Mali Adumin. We're talking about over 3,000 houses. Yeah, so submit your public comment because they are very open to critiques. (laughs) Yeah. Even if Mali Adumin is completed and they permanently cut the West Bank in half and they push Palestinians into smaller and smaller reservations and swaths of land so that they can't even see their family members that are a few kilometers away from them, even if that happens. And it just exacerbates the continuous and literally never ending land theft. The best we can hope for in the United States of America is a little energy transfer, you know, 
that's about it. You're going to get some light words. You're going to get an occasional frustrated, you know, glance. You're, you're going to get, you're going to get blinking at a loss for words when confronted by Abby Martin, literally just choking on his words because he doesn't know what to say because it's so absurd. In fairness, his windpipe is small. It looks like a literal straw. But in good news, and something to keep in mind when we're talking about all of this, is that Algeria just celebrated their independence on July 5th. 1962 was the day that they gained their independence after they overthrew the violent occupation the French had imposed on them. And people often say it's hard to imagine a time when Palestine could be free in a similar way. But the Algerians, they told a similar story, actually. They said that when the settlers left, the food on the table was still hot. Just like up and left fast? Yes. Is that what they're... Yeah. The point is like, you never know how quickly they're about to leave until they're gone. Yeah. Yeah. And it lasted 132 years, Michael. Like, right. let's never forget. The Algerians resisted for 150 years, and the Palestinians have been occupied for 70 years. So the fight is not over. Absolutely. I think that's that's very fair to say. Yeah, but it's cool because anytime, you know, obviously Algerian independence being in France, and there's so many Algerians here, I have a lot of Algerian friends here. You know, and Algerians have a lot of love for Palestinians and, and likewise, Palestinians have a lot of love for Algerians. It's it's something we talk about often. And, you know, I think probably out of any Arabic speaking peoples, I think Algerians and Palestinians are probably like have a, a very special bond with one another. And it, it, it comes out of this. It comes out of resisting colonialism and and one having reached independence. And obviously, like all my I get a lot of messages, too, on, on, on Instagram of people being like, yeah, we're we're free. But like still there's they're still colonizing us in different ways. OK, I'm not discounting that. That's 100 percent true. But we're at a different part of the struggle than you are. We are so not free. We're like really not free. Like they are murdering us every day and they are stealing our land every day. And the whole world acts like it's not happening. Yeah, we do still aspire to and look back at examples like Algerian liberation to inspire us for sure. That doesn't mean that things are perfect today in Algeria. They certainly are not. But it is, there is a special relationship. And anytime I tell an Algerian person I'm Palestinian, oh my God. It's like the eyes light up. I get all these, oh, we're with you. We love you. You're you are me and I am you and all sorts of things like, oh, I'm going to name my daughter Palestine. I don't have a daughter yet, but I'm going to keep trying. Like I get people telling me the most insane shit, you know, and it's like, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, this. Oh, you don't have to pay for this. Like how many times they've like, I've been in a taxi or whatever. No, 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 no. Don't pay for the. It's like, no, I'm going to pay for the taxi. No, no, no. You're Palestinian. It's like. It's cool, dude. Let me just pay for the taxi. You know, there is this love and I, and I really like, I feel it, but I also like want people to keep educating so that we don't lose that. Keep educating like the younger generations so that we don't lose that. Tell them about Palestine and the story of Palestine and how it's connected to your own story as, as the people that have liberated themselves from colonialism, because 
what I worry about is that, yeah, the love is there, but maybe the education is not. And so then we lose the ability to actually form like really deep connections and, and, and to really learn from one another, because unfortunately, like what you're seeing now, this new generation of like Arabs that is growing up in the Middle East and everything for those that live in places like the Emirates, like Saudi, like some of the other countries that have normalized relations with the Zionist state, there are a lot of people that are, that are growing up that have absolutely no idea about the story of Palestine. And those that do only, only do because it's important in their family. And so their families are making them aware of it, but there isn't this like consensus about the story of Palestine or about the importance of the story of Palestine to Arabs the way that there has been in the past. And I think that that's really critical. And I know that we have a lot of listeners from the Arab world. And I would encourage you to ask your families, to talk to them about Palestine, to ask them how they, you know, what they knew about Palestine when they were growing up and compare that to like what your peers are doing right now. Because I think one of the challenges that we're going to face and that we're already facing is this loss of Arab support that not only is like top at the top, right? In the leadership, you have Arab Zionists now, but it's going to reverberate down into the people because they're going to lose any sense of like that, that essential education. Like what is Palestine? Why, why do we have to support the liberation of Palestine as Arabs? I mean, you are all a colonized people. You were all colonized and and many of you are still colonized. And colonialism just looks different today than it did you know at the turn of the century or when you were you know when you were under like actual physical occupation. But it's really important for these people not to forget the story of Palestine because for a lot of them they live under dictatorships that are completely anti-democratic and if they forget the story of Palestine, they will also, in a sense, forget the, the need for their own liberation from these regimes. Yeah. Um, they, get, they get sold like this story of, oh, Israel, technology, come to the Emirates. Yes, exchanges. Well, it's all bullshit. It's all lies and it's built on lies and stolen land and lies. And the technology is tested on Palestinians and used to oppress them and then shows up at an expo in Dubai. But we as an Arab people have to be smarter than that. So catch me at the Dubai comedy festival. (laughs) (laughs) You'll never go to Dubai, Michael. I will not let you go to Dubai. That's where they'd kill me. A lot of human trafficking as well. A lot of human trafficking, a lot of slavery. Yes, a lot of racism. Slavery. Big, big slave yeah. drivers over there. Yeah. No. And a lot of Zionists. So, hey. But that's not repetitive. To- <laughs> right. You wouldn't say it's a new baby, right? Because they're all new. Right. Right. But hey. Find, like- hey, find me an old baby. Exactly. A boss. Well- <laughs> uh, yeah. We spoke to somebody who lives in Saudi, not anybody connected mm-hmm. with the government or anything, but she told us that 
the understanding and the fervency in support of Palestinian liberation was something that was widespread among her father's generation, but that her generation has sort of lost that edge, Mm -hmm. lost that understanding and lost the urgency to help Palestine liberate itself and in doing so to liberate one's own self. Right. We have all become somewhat complacent with these devices that sell us a bag of goods that we don't really need. Right. They market to our insecurities and they try and exacerbate existing holes that exist in us. Yeah. So all this to say that Biden. That's why this podcast <laughs> is brought to you by me undies. <laughs> Oh my God, that is hilarious that you said that because I actually listen to this comedian's podcast when I don't want to think about anything, you know? Yeah. And he is sponsored by MeUndies. Yeah, that's why I made the joke. We're not actually, but if they want to. Biden's upcoming trip to the region where he's going to mingle with the Saudi monarchy and mingle with the Zionists. And there's talks of this possible Arab NATO that is going to be like a Zionist Arab entity. It's all very bad news. And it's all an indication of how far we have come from a time when Palestinians could look across the Arab world and find broad support for their liberation struggle. And now it's very much not the case. One by one, every regime in the Arab world is being transformed into a pro-Zionist regime. Yeah, and it's a mixture of economic pressures, sanctions, infiltration, covert action, outright assassinations, and toppling regime change yeah Yeah. toppling entire regimes and then installing people who are sympathetic to zionists so you know it's it's a multi-pronged effort that the zionist entity has been working on for quite some time and it's now showing dividends we got to spend some time talking about this phone call between abbas and, and lapid because you know just when i think like this is the one story that definitely confirms how irrelevant Abbas is. The next week, there's another story that shows how much more irrelevant he is. And it is outdone the following week and the following week. And I just can't, I don't even know what what else he could do at this point. So apparently, Lapid and Abbas had a phone call earlier this week ahead of Biden's trip to the region. The contents of that phone call were published on the internet. And apparently... A lot of snoring. (laughs) I wish. I wish that's what it was. Apparently, Lapid offered Abbas best wishes for the holiday. And apparently, Abbas congratulated Lapid for assuming office as prime minister. Why? What for? Assuming office of the colonial entity that is crushing your people and stealing your land? Congrats. What for? I, 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 uh, Abbas is an eyesore. He is an eyesore. He is a, he's a back pimple. Congratulating Lapid. Why? What are you doing? Have some respect. Every time there's a story about Abbas, it always ends with me saying, have some respect for yourself. 
Yeah, you're tra- you're talking to a boss like a young person who's lost their way. <laughs> you're like, I I wanted more for you. I believed in you. Have more respect for yourself. Many of you have heard by now that Ben and Jerry's has sued their parent company Unilever because Unilever went kind of rogue and was like, "Oh yeah, you you don't want to sell your ice cream in the occupied West Bank." Well we're going to figure out a way to do that anyway without you. And they did. So Ben and Jerry's actually went to court and is seeking an injunction to prevent their parent company from selling products in the West Bank settlements. And who among us hasn't sued their parent company? (laughs) I think this is interesting because... It is a big statement when a corporate entity of the stature of Ben and Jerry's says, I'm going to sue you for finding a way to continue to do business in the occupation. That is putting your money where your mouth is. It's taking the the dispute. It's certainly taking the dispute up a notch. But it's also like committing in the public sphere to your position and not backing down in the face of resistance by by the parent company. I do think it's an interesting move. And I and I wonder if it's a sign of things to come for other corporations to then actually think about litigation as a way to preserve their values as a company and to use that litigation as a means to stop doing business with the apartheid state. We'll see what happens. It might settle. It might go to a judgment. Ben and Jerry said that this legal action was, quote, essential to protect the brand and social integrity Ben and Jerry's has spent decades building, according to the complaint, which was filed in a U.S. district court. They also said that Unilever's decision was made without the consent of Ben and Jerry's independent board and that it goes against the merger agreement that gave the board the ability to protect the founder's values and reputation. Ben and Jerry's also tweeted, we continue to believe it is inconsistent with Ben and Jerry's values for our ice cream to be sold in the occupied Palestinian territory. So let's see what happens. I think Ben and Jerry's is doing a little bit of theatrics even though they're also taking it to court like it it may be just for the publicity right because like i've spoken to some people who live near those settlements palestinians and they say that the ice cream never went off the shelves Like Mm. what happened is that Unilever initially tried to get that portion of Ben and Jerry's distribution sold to another company who just didn't care about the ramifications. And they were also people who were like, there were Zionists who were like, we're going to take your product and we're going to sell it ourselves, basically. Like, so there was a mixture of people who were still distributing the ice cream. And also, it's weird that Ben and Jerry's is like, this is inconsistent with us, except this is a position that we just took like maybe nine months ago for the first time. They're doing a little bit too much self-congratulating for my liking because it's not 
like the consistency of your brand is that you were already selling in occupied Palestine. And you're not taking it out of the occupation. You're not taking it out of 48. You're taking it out of the areas where you've received heat for being in the West Bank. So, you know, it's all a little bit of smoke and mirrors, a little bit of rocky road, a little bit of just, you know, Mm-mm-mm. marketing PR bullshit. Look, if we're getting to the point where standing up to apartheid is good for PR, because apparently it's it hasn't been for for a long time, then I call that a victory. I do think that that is relevant. That's it is a valid a relevant point. Switch, you know, little 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 that di- you know, just like we're not so. But it's far like they just way. got into the kiddie pool and now they've closed the door and they're like nobody else behind <laughs> me, right? Like I'm the last person and I am the moral person in this situation, yeah. and it's like you guys are. You responded to a public pressure campaign that happened to you on Twitter, largely. And it was like nine months ago that you adopted this, you know, so stop pretending like you're some moral white knight. You guys make ice cream and you sell them in occupied land and you just started stopping. So how about we chill a bit on the whole like we're this moral and ethical brand we've built over generations. It's like you guys shut up. Honestly, also, like, if it really was a moral and ethical brand, it probably wouldn't, like, kill Make you. money. You know? Make it would money. would probably be just, like, eggplants. You know what I mean? Like, they wouldn't sell. Also, it's a dairy industry, right? So, it's like, yeah. you're one of the largest polluters in the world because you That's use, like, milk, cows. Cows need to be constantly impregnated so that right. they can continue to be, like, filled with milk. You guys are not moral. Like, stop this. That's actually a really good point. It's like... We're going to take time from our animal torture facilities to stop (laughs) selling ice cream in a couple places. (laughs) Like, yeah, okay. Sounds good. Yeah. Let's not pat ourselves on the back so hard, though. How about that? Yeah. I, I, you know what? You're convincing me. I, I agree. Well, okay, I'm glad. Can... I'm glad that we <laughs> covered that. that story. <laughs> nope, I'm keeping it in. Folks, that has been another episode of the Palestine Pod. Thank you all so much for listening. Check out our full episodes and sources at www.palestinepod.com. Send us an email at palestinepod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at the Palestine Pod and check out our Patreon for a bunch of cool stuff that we got cooking over there. www.patreon.com slash Palestine Pod. That's been another episode. Thank you all so much for listening. Have a great rest of your day. 